Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right, good morning, City Walk. How we doing? You all right? Okay, all right. Well, we are uh, getting into a couple weeks away. You guys getting excited about fall? We had like a couple mornings dip into the 50s, and so fall looks like it's coming. I know with, we, we talked earlier in the service, if you were here during the welcome, school's right upon us, and, and with school and fall, a lot, of, a lot of things are happening. In fact, I noticed today that a lot of people got here earlier. And so I thought, you know what, probably everybody's getting back into like the school and we got to get up early, so we might as well get up early and go to church too. And so uh, I noticed, man, when we, when, when we usually do the welcome, it's like to all five of you that are here, we're excited that you're here. And then everybody else fills in. Uh, but a lot of people were here. Well, uh, we in our family, we get excited about the fall. We were in Florida for many years where you really don't have fall. You have like two days in February that we call fall because it's cool a little bit. Uh, but we're excited about the fall. And one of the things at City Walk that we, during the fall, uh, we want to make a real big deal out of and we want to put some time into uh, is we want to put some time and some encouragement and some equipping into who we call our bridge builders. And uh, here at City Walk, bridge builders are those people that volunteer in all the different areas uh, of our church. Some of them were here as early as like 6.45 this morning helping set up. We've got a bunch of them that are over uh, in the children's ministry serving. And so on September 14th, and we'll tell you more about this as we get closer, if you are a bridge builder, we want you to save that morning because we've got a special event for you that is going to equip you and encourage you for the coming year. And so just kind of mark your calendar September 14th. That's coming, and uh, we'll have a good time, and you'll hear more about it. But go ahead and save that time. It's just a few hours on a Saturday morning uh, that we're going to do some special things for you and kind of equip you for the fall. And uh, we won't hold it here. We'll hold it in a different place. But, but that's something that's coming this fall. Another thing that's coming, and you'll hear more about it, is our city groups. And so city groups, you can actually go on and sign up for a city group. A lot of times people will ask, hey, so how do I get connected here at City Walk? Man, join a group because, man, if you join a group, that's how you're going to get connected. Uh, and so I'd encourage you, you can go on the app and do that. Uh, here in the next few days, one of the, as, as you think about fall and getting your kids back in school, one of the words that you're probably going to use with your uh, kids or a phrase that you're going to use is you're probably going to use the word example. And, and here's how you might use it. You might use this. You might say, hey, stay away from you fill in the blank at school because they're not a good example and I don't want you hanging out with them this year. Or, or you might say something like this, you know, a couple weeks into your fifth grader getting back into school and they come home with some math homework that you have no clue how to do as an adult, you might say, hey, go look on YouTube and find an example 
In our family, we say, call Uncle Jeff, and he'll help you with, with your math homework. But a lot of, hey, go on YouTube and find an example, and, and they'll help you because I have no clue how to help you with that math. Uh, you might say something like this to your kids. You might say, hey, this year at school, I want you to be a good example for the other kids in your class. Be a good example. And we all know something that's true about an example. An example is a pretty powerful thing. An example is a powerful thing if it's a good example. It's also a pretty powerful thing if it's a bad example. And we probably, and we may not want to admit this, find ourselves once in a while hoping somebody will mess up a little bit in their example. And you you can admit this as I explain it because you're like, yeah, I've definitely done that. Occasionally, we find ourselves, when we look at someone who has everything together, hoping they'd mess up one time. It's like, you know what? It's this kind of thing. You offer the person a piece of candy, and they're like, you know, that's not on my diet. I can't eat that. And you're like, really? Can you? One piece of candy is going to wreck your diet? Come on. I just ate like donuts and hamburgers last night. I woke up this morning and ate the rest of them. And you can't have a, just mess up once. You, you, you might find yourself, or you might, you're, you're a student that goes to school this year, and you're like, you, I mean, you're so happy if you make a B plus, but you have that one friend that it wrecks their world if they make a B plus on a test. You're like, come on, and they're in tears, it rocks their week, and you're just like, man, I, just, I hope for B-pluses. We're celebrating at our house if we make a B-plus, but you got that one friend that, man, they, they make one B, it's like it messes up their whole year, and you're just like, you're almost happy that they made the one B. It's like, come down to earth with the rest of us. But, but where it gets kind of really annoying, and, and you've, you've seen this, it gets really annoying when it comes into the church. And maybe whether you grew up in church or maybe you were in church and kind of walked away from church at some point in your life, you, you might be able to relate with this, where you kind of come into church and you know how much of a wreck you are, and, and you come into church and, and you figure out real quickly in some places that, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about this stuff. And, and you meet people and it's like, okay, well, I... You know what? I'm glad you never miss a Sunday. I'm glad you read your Bible every day. I'm glad you never say a bad word when you hit your finger. I'm glad that your marriage is perfect, but I'm not any of those things. And and maybe you found yourself like, you know what? I tried to kind of get into the church thing, but then I realized like everybody is kind of perfect and it seems like like they have everything together and it just that's not me, so I guess I can't be a part of that. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about a guy by the name of Paul who understood the power of example. And Paul was a guy that early on in his kind of career, he understood the exhaustion and emptiness of trying to keep things perfect on the outside. In fact, he put his whole life into keeping the rules, doing things right. He wanted to make sure in his mind that God was happy with him, but that he also looked good and clean and everything looked good on the outside for all the other people. And Paul was really good at this. Like he was really, like you looked at Paul and you were impressed. Like, yeah, the kid has it all together. 
But then as he was on his way to eliminate some Christians, because that was something that he was passionate about, he was on his way to do that, and he met Jesus. And Jesus, when he met Jesus, it radically changed him from the inside out. No longer was he worried about maybe pleasing man and doing everything perfect. He, because of something that happened on the inside, wanted to spend his life knowing Jesus well and then representing Jesus well wherever he went. It radically changed him. But he understood what it was like. The exhaustion of trying to keep things perfect on the outside. And while he was sitting in prison, now he had had met Jesus, he had been a part of ministry and starting churches, and, and one of the churches he started was a church called the Church at Philippi. And about 10 years after he started that church, he found himself in prison He found himself in prison not knowing if he was going to get out of prison, when he would get out of prison. He didn't know if somebody was going to come to the door of his prison cell and take him outside and kill him. He didn't know. But while he was sitting there in prison, he penned a letter to the church at Philippi. He penned a letter that that really was a letter to thank them, but also a letter to encourage them in their relationship with Jesus because something had happened to them on the inside, and he wanted to help them as well. And so over the last kind of week, 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 in fact, last Sunday, what he talked about in the portion of the letter that we read is he talked about Jesus and Jesus' perfect sacrificial unselfish, humble example. If you were with us last week, what Paul did is he, as he's writing this letter, he begins to think about Jesus and he talks about how Jesus left heaven to come to earth. How Jesus took on the the form of a servant. How Jesus was a man, 100% man and 100% God. How Jesus, when he came to earth, he did not come to take. He did not come to rule. He came to serve and give his life. And Paul, he kind of explains how Jesus gave his life on a cross like a criminal for something that he didn't deserve to die for. He rose from the grave, and 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 Paul has just kind of laid that out. And then here's what he says. After that portion of the letter, here's what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, and, and therefore is a word that basically means, hey, all the stuff I just said, as a result of that, here's how you respond. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so what Paul says, he's saying, hey, because of what I just explained to you about Jesus and how he gave himself unselfishly, he served, he gave his life. Because of that, as a result of that, I want you to follow his example and I want you to continue to walk in obedience. Not just when I'm with you, not just when the teacher's looking, but when I'm not there. I want you to continue. And then he says something that, that could be controversial. He says this, 
I want you to work out your salvation. They're like, Paul, that, that doesn't sound very Paulish. Like work, salvation, those don't usually go together. Is Paul saying that you have to work to gain a relationship with Jesus? Because work out your salvation kind of sounds like that. Is that what he's saying? We know that's not true because the people he's talking to are already followers of Jesus. We also know that's true because in other portions of Scripture, Paul makes clear that our faith in Jesus has nothing to do with our works. It's not a work, Ephesians 2 says, but it's faith and grace. It's not a work of man because if it was a work of man, we would brag about it. And so Paul, in other portions of Scripture, he makes clear that, hey, this whole thing about working out your salvation, I'm not saying work for your salvation, I'm saying work out your salvation. So what is Paul saying? This, this, this work out basically means this, to put into practice, to get everything out of, to take something that's already happened to its logical conclusion. You, you might be here, and, and if you are this person, we could probably have you over to our house some. You might be the person in this room that has the ultimate green thumb. Like anything you touch, like is, you get double the plants out of it. Your tomatoes are always better than everybody else's tomatoes. You can grow anything in your backyard. I mean, and you might be that person. Your backyard looks like Mr. Miyagi's backyard in Karate Kid 1, for those of you that grew up in the 80s and 90s and, and remember that. Man, 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 maybe that's you, man. You plant stuff and it just, it just stuff happens. And then maybe, maybe you're the other person. We were that person. Uh, when we lived in Florida, we had this great idea. There was like a little kind of sandbox in our backyard, an area where there was an old wooden playhouse, and we're like, oh, that'd be a perfect place to plant things. And we can be that family that grows stuff and picks our own stuff, and it's just magical. We go pick our own stuff and eat it in the kitchen. That'll be fun. So we planted our own stuff. And what we did was we basically fed the squirrels in our neighborhood for the next year. And so we're not that family. But, but say you're like us and you're not that family and somebody comes to you and says, hey, the best backyard garden in our state I own and I'm actually going to give it to you. Like it's the best. There's hands down the best garden, family garden in the state of California. I've created it. It is awesome. And, and I'm, I'm just going to hand it. It's yours for free. You're like, great, man, praise the Lord, we'll save some money on, on vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And, and here's what this idea of workout means. It basically means take something that you already have and get the most out of it. So, hey, you, you've got this garden that, that hey, your, your, your friend gave to you, man. You didn't have to work for the garden. You didn't have to put a, a seed in. You haven't had to pull a weed. This garden is full of vegetables and fruit. It's yours for free. But you got to go in there and get the most out of it. Your friend's not going to come and pick the tomatoes for you. you got to go in there and, and get the most out of your garden that you've been given for free. And here's, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to get the most out of your relationship with Jesus that you can. You didn't earn it, but there's a lot there for you. And that's what he's saying. See, we have been freely given salvation. 
It's not something we can lose because we didn't have anything to do with gaining it ourselves. It was a work of Jesus. And so from a place of security and acceptance, we can try to please God and get the most out of that relationship that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve. And honestly, that in itself sounds challenging. You might think, you know what, I got this backyard garden and it is full of fruit, but honestly, it's going to take a few days for me to get in there. It's, even though I've been given everything, man, there's still some work and some effort and there's some things i got to do. I mean, this isn't necessarily going to be easy. Well, the same way with our relationship with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given something. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. it no matter how good you think you are, you're not good enough to gain salvation on your own. It's been freely given to you. And now Paul's saying to these people as he's writing this letter, I want you to work it out. But here's the good news. There's a next verse. Here's what the next verse says. Because some of you, man, even, even picking all the fruit in the garden, it's going to take a little effort. I need some help. Well, here's what it says. It says this. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want you to work out your salvation. Oh, but by the way, I'm going to empower your will and your, your work. I'm going to give you the ability and the power on the inside and on the outside to do what I've just told you to do. So you're telling me to, to, to go pick all the vegetables and get the most out of the garden, but you're actually going to be the one that gives me the power to do it? Yes, that's what he's saying. See, you and I were not left to our own ability, our own willpower, our own energy to please God. We're, we're, not, we're not left to, hey, man, if I can just white knuckle this thing and be disciplined enough, I can please God. No, no, God's saying, hey, I want you to work out your salvation, but I'm actually going to give you the ability to do it because you can't do it by yourself, which is amazing. See, for, for most, in most cases, and you understand this, motivation many times is outward driven. For instance, we went to uh, Six Flags a few weeks ago, and if you've been, how many of you have seen the Tiger show at Six Flags? Uh, a few of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a t Tiger Show group back here. Got a few over here. All right. Well, if, you're, if you go to the Tiger Show, anytime you can go to, like, see extremely large cats that could literally eat you within seconds, but don't, it's a pretty cool experience. And so here's what will happen at the Tiger Show if you go to Six Flags. They will bring out one or two tigers at a time. And they will have them do tricks, they'll have them stand up, they'll have them jump over stuff and jump to stuff. They have them drinking out of bottles. It's, it's amazing. But you know what? There's not something inside that tiger that says, you know what, I just, I'm just going to obey my master. And when he tells me to jump from this rock to the next one, there's just something inside of me that just is driving me to obey. I'm just motivated from the inside to be a good tiger. When he asked me to stand up so everybody can see how big I really am, you know what? I just love my tiger trainer so much, so thankful for the care it gives me. I'm just going to do what he says because I'm just a good tiger on the inside. No, 
If you're there, they are literally throwing chunks of meat to that tiger about every five seconds to get him to do the next thing. I mean, and I'm not talking like you go to the dolphin show, they're giving the guy a little minnows. I'm talking like, like you would get full off one piece. You're like, can I get one and put it on a grill? That's good stuff. And, and that's how they get that tiger to do anything. It, it's motivated on the outside. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? That's how we do life. In most cases, your dog obeys you because you give it a treat. You do this thing at youth group because you're going to get a free t-shirt out of the deal. I mean, you can get teenagers to do about anything for free pizza or a free t-shirt. And you can get adults to do about anything for those two things too. But, but a lot of that happens. And here's what Paul's saying. I want you to be motivated on the inside to work out your salvation. I want God's going to do something on the inside of you to give you the, the will to do what he wants you to do on the outside. I say it this way. God's work in us leads to God's work through us. And this is so interesting because the people Paul was talking to, and I know none of you have this issue, ran their mouth a little bit. You're like, elbowing, don't elbow the person next to you. Uh, but, but they had some like relationship issues, and I think part of it was they said stuff about each other. There were some, some, some issues. There was some relationship stuff. There was somebody saying something they shouldn't say. You can just tell by the rest of the letter. And Paul, he's saying, you know what? I could just say, hey, if you'll just be nice to each other, I'll send you a present. But he doesn't do that. He says, hey, I want you, because of what Jesus did, I want you to work out your salvation, put it into practice, and God's going to give you the ability and the will to do it. And then he goes on and gets real practical. He says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You're like, oh, that was a right turn, Paul. Thank I mean, you didn't warn us about getting, getting in our business like this. Do all things without grumbling, basically that, that whispering complaints, that person in your ear that's just always complaining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The idea of disputing is divisive arguments. Do all th can I argue a little, Paul? Can I be a little divisive? Like, can I whisper complaints sometimes? See, I think all means all in any society. And he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights. And so Paul's just said, and, and whether you grew up in church or not, you understand the hurt that our mouths can bring. You've been on both sides probably. You've maybe said something that you know, man, I shouldn't have said that. I hurt somebody. And you've been on the other side. We all have where somebody, even that maybe didn't know they were hurting you, they whispered, they were in an argument with you, they were talking behind your back, and, and, and there was that, that hurt. And Paul says, you guys are different because you, you have a relationship with Jesus and he's going to give you the ability on the inside to obey him, to do what he's called you to do. And part of that affects your mouth. He says, I want you to do all things without grumbling and disputing. I want you to be blameless in your talk. I want you to be innocent 
I want you to be above reproach. See, as God works in you and you walk in obedience, it will affect even how you talk. And then he says this. This is amazing. He says, when that happens, something automatically happens. It's the, the last part. He says, you shine as lights in the world. When God's working in you, he's doing something inside of you, and you're beginning to live out what he's doing on the inside, it affects your mouth, it affects everything about you, and before you know it, you become, without even trying, a light. You shine as a light in a dark place. Because of what's happening to you on the inside that affects even your words, you become a light. You become different. You stand out. He says, you will shine as a light because you're reflecting Jesus to the world. It's a natural progression. But here's, here's something that we've we got to think about. And this is, man, if you, if you grew up in church or if you haven't been to church in a long time, this bugs both of us. I mean, have you ever noticed this? That light never yells at darkness. Have you ever noticed that? Like when you walked in your dark house and you turned the light on, the light did not say a word. See, light doesn't debate the darkness on social media. I've never seen that happen. Light is not proud of itself for being light. Like, you don't hear your light bragging about being light. Like, did you see how, how I lit that room up? It just, it just doesn't talk. See, here's what light does. It lights. That's it. Light just lights. And as a result, it brings comfort. As a result, it gives perspective. As a result, it brings hope. As a result... It, it, it changes things. It doesn't talk about it. It doesn't yell at the darkness. It just lights things. And when it lights things, it brings hope. It brings comfort. It brings perspective into darkness. And Paul says, as God's working in you, it will begin to affect even how you talk. And you will begin to shine like a light. You'll begin to reflect Jesus which will make you look like light. And, and then Paul goes on to say this, and this is amazing. He says this, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This, this idea of holding fast the word of life, you know what this means? It, it means back in the, this time, this was a, the same word for holding forth something, like holding something out. And it was used in, in the Greek society when someone would invite you to their house, they would offer you a drink. And so, for instance, if I come to your house and you like, man, I want to make, I want to give Chris his favorite drink of all time, man. If, if I come to your house and you hold out a ginger ale to me, I'm going to be really, that's like, I'm as happy as can be. That's what, I love ginger ale. That in the morning, if I was at your house and you, you held out like a pot of coffee to me and offered that to me, man, I'd be, I'd be astounded, excited. And here's what this is saying. Hey, 
When, when God's working in you, when, when He's doing something in you that even affects how you talk, you begin to shine as a light, and then you're able to hold forth, offer something to the world, the word of life. You're able to hold forth the good news. But have you noticed when somebody's mouth doesn't like live up to what they say about their heart, it's hard for you to take their good news seriously. And what Paul's saying is, this is a natural progression. As God works in you, it begins to affect what you say. It begins to affect your life. You begin to shine as a light. And then when you hold forth the word of life, it's a great offering to people. It's, it's something that, that might even be attractive to them. See, when your life reflects Jesus, your words about Jesus hold more weight. And what's interesting, this is exactly what Paul did when he first visited the city of Philippi. When he first visited the city of Philippi, think about, if you, if you know the history of this, Paul was put in prison the first time he visited Philippi. He was put in prison for a reason that he shouldn't have been put in prison for. He was beaten severely before he was put in prison. But then while he was in prison with his buddy Silas, they were literally, the Bible says, in the middle of the night after being beaten, put in prison for something they shouldn't have been put in prison for, they were singing and praying and the whole prison heard them. And then there was this great earthquake. All the doors of the prison opened up. All the shackles fell off. It would have been easy for Paul and Silas to get up and escape, but they didn't. And then the jailer, the person in charge of the jail, literally comes to Paul and says, what do I have to do to have what you have? Like, like what do I have to do to be saved? There's something different about you. I've heard your words. I've watched your life. You reflect something different than what I've seen in other people. I've watched you take things that you didn't deserve and still respond in your words in a way that I, is astounding to me. And so now I, I'm coming to you. I'm asking, what is different? And Paul was able to hold forth the good news because his life and his words reflected what was going on in his heart. And, and, and what's interesting is Paul, he finishes this section of his letter. He, I, I don't know, I just have these thoughts in my mind as, as Paul's sitting in prison and he's writing this stuff down to send to these people. He's just said, hey, hold forth the word of life. He's just talked to them about humility and unselfishness. And as he's kind of closing up this section, he says, oh, you know what, there's a couple people that come to mind. I've been thinking about, you know, holding forth the word of life and shining as a light and humility. And, and before I close this section, let me tell you about two people that just come to mind when I think about this. He says, oh, I've got to tell you about Timothy. Let, 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 me, let me tell you a little bit about Timothy. And he, he says this in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. And then he says this. He says, for I have no one like him. Like there's something different about Timothy that's different than anybody else around me. And he says this. Here's what's different. 
He genuinely is concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, his proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He says, man, as I think about this, let me tell you about Timothy. This kid, Timothy, that I'm going to send to you, literally there's no one I know like him. I can't find anybody that represents Jesus better than this kid. Man, everybody else seems to have an angle or an agenda or seeks their own thing. Not Timothy. Timothy, he's interested in other people. Let me, I just, I just, Timothy's on my mind as I talk about these things. But then he says this, there's another guy. There's another guy that you you guys will know even better than Timothy because he's actually part of your church. His name's Epaphroditus. And as I think about somebody who shines as a light, as I think about somebody who puts other people's interests above themselves, man, I think about Epaphroditus. He says this in verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. And he goes on to talk about how Epaphroditus literally gave, was willing to give his life for Paul and the good of this church. Because Epaphroditus was this guy that, and Paul says this, he's a fellow worker, man, he gets in there and works with me. He's a brother, man. He's, he's so close like a brother. He, he's a, a fellow soldier. This is a guy that's fearless. He's a defender of you. He's a defender of what's good. As I think of somebody who shines his light, I think about this guy Epaphroditus. He's different. He, he almost died because he was trying so hard to be a help to other people. He was willing to give his own life. And he comes to mind as I think about this and I think about the examples see I said this earlier at the beginning you you and I know that examples are pretty powerful things and whether we like it or not we are living examples see and I want you to think about this question it might be a question you've never thought about before when does your example come to someone else's mind So when Paul was talking about servanthood, when he was talking about shining as a light, when he was talking about somebody that put into practice their salvation, he thought of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Well, you know what? There's times in all of our lives that people think of us. When do they think of your example? I mean, do, do they think of your example when they're like, man, when, when they're talking about selfishness and they need an illustration? Like, oh, yeah, Chris, if you, if you, you know Chris. When they, when they think about somebody that's greedy, do they think, oh, well, yeah, I got a buddy. He, yeah, perfect illustration. Maybe, maybe when they think of somebody that's loving and unselfish, they say, oh, you have to meet my friend. Man, so unselfish. When they, maybe when they think of somebody that's an encourager, 
Your, your, your face comes to their mind when they think, oh man, somebody that's really encouraged me. Oh man, I have the perfect example of that. Let me tell you about my friend. When does your example come to mind in other people's conversations and in their minds? See, whether we like our example or not, and let me encourage you with this, if not really, whether you like your example or not, you can't change it. You're like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Here's what I mean. If you could, you probably would have already. If you could be unselfish on your own, you probably would have stopped being unselfish. I would have. If you could not be greedy on your own, you probably would have, you know, took whatever class you had to or, you know, did the exercise you had to do to not be greedy. But that didn't work, did it? If, if you could, could, could take a pill or do something that would help you take care of whatever issues going on in your heart and, and that's played out in your life that everybody knows you by in your past, you would have done that. So would have I. But, but here's the thing. We can't change it. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Paul said, I want you to work out your salvation but hey you're not left to yourself because there's something inside of you that's going to give you the desire the will and is actually going to help you in the work because you can't do it by yourself if you're a follower of Christ this this statement I'm going to say is something you you want to maybe write down and think about on a regular basis and it's simply this the Christian life is not me living for Jesus but Jesus living through me Let me say that again. We talked a little bit about this last week. The Christian life is not me living for Jesus, but Jesus living through me. Fill in this blank. When I understand this, this idea that Jesus is living through me and not me living for Jesus, I stop pursuing you fill in the blank and pursue intimacy. When I understand that, the, the, that being a follower of Jesus isn't me living for Jesus, but it's actually Jesus in me living, then I stop pursuing, in most cases, some behavior modification, and I start pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And haven't we all found ourselves doing this? Like, oh, i got to live for Jesus, so that means I have to stop doing this. I have to white-knuckle this. I have to get more disciplined in this area. I have to kind of modify my behavior so things look better. And and what, what the point is, hey, if it's all about Jesus living through me, then our greatest passion should be not behavior modification. It should be getting to know Jesus more intimately. See, God's... And I said this earlier, God's work in you will lead to God's work through you. When we are getting to know Jesus and we are more intimate with Jesus, what automatically happens is as God works in us, the outside takes care of itself. He works through us. But so many times we get it backwards. And if you're somebody that maybe didn't grow up in church or maybe you're somebody that kind of has been burnt by the church this might be the issue 
Like you've seen a lot of people trying to live for Jesus and trying to be more disciplined than the rest of the city and trying to you know, talk different than the rest of the city and trying to do all these things on the outside that aren't necessarily bad things, but you thought, man, there's not, there just doesn't seem to be anything going on on the inside. It seems to be a lot of checking boxes and doing things to make things look like they have it all together. But is there anything happening inside? See, his work on the inside will lead to change in every aspect of your life, from your speech, to your desires, to your thoughts, to your actions. See, the the scriptures say it this way, that when, when Jesus takes resident inside of you, all things become new from the inside out. He, he, he makes you new on the inside. And as you get to know him better, you can't help but reflect him to the world. And then you get opportunities to hold forth the good news because you're different than everybody else. And you're not different so you can brag about being different. You're different because you can't help it. Something's happening on the inside. And so as we close... I want to ask you to, I'm going to ask you to do something that sounds kind of weird. You're like, well, I knew there was going to be something weird if I came to church. There always is. But here, here's, here's what it is. It's not too weird. Here's what I'm going to ask you to stop focusing on. If you're a husband this week, stop focusing on being a better husband. You're like, oh, that's great. Thanks. That gives me off, gets me off the hook. If you're a mom, stop focusing on being a better mom this week. If you're a worker, stop focusing on being a better employee this week. Students, when you go to school, don't focus on being the best student in school this week. Instead of that, would you take all the focus you would put on being a better husband this week, being a better mom this week, being a better student this week, and would you be willing to put all that focus on getting to know Jesus this week? I'm not going to feel guilty for not being the best mom I can be. I'm not going to let Satan tell me about this and and how I'm not good enough in this area. I'm not going to focus on that this week. My focus this week is... I want to know Jesus better this week. And I'm going to take all that effort and all the the intention and I'm just going to put it in, hey, this week I want to know Jesus better. And by doing that, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying I actually trust Jesus. Like I trust that if I do what Jesus says and I get to know him better, then he's going to help me do these other things. But I've been getting it backwards all this time. And so would you, would you do that? Would you focus on this week saying this, Jesus, I want to know you more. That's it. Jesus, this week, I want to get to know you. And what, what, would that, what might that look like? It, it might look like you sitting, sitting some time aside that you would worry about other things in your life and, and maybe open the book of Mark and... Spend a little time just getting to know Jesus. 
It might look like you maybe taking some things that you've read or heard in your, in your group or in another time, another study that you've been in, and just maybe on your way to work instead of listening to sports radio, it might just be you kind of thinking on those things a little bit. And like, you know what, I'm just going to try to get to know Jesus better. It might be you having a conversation with somebody that, that you know knows Jesus better than you, and so you just are going to have some coffee with somebody this week and just talk about Jesus. And I, here's, what I, here's what I'm pretty confident of, that if I walk in here next week and I know Jesus better, I will have been a better dad this week. I will have been a better husband this week. I will have been a better neighbor this week without even thinking about it because I will reflect Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we close, would you just in the quietness of this room, would you be willing this week with literally no agenda to just say, Jesus, I want to know you better. I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to know you better so I can get something. I'm not trying to know you better so I can be better at something. I'm just trying to get to know you better this week. Would you be willing, just in the quietness of your heart, whether you're somebody who is a person of faith or maybe you're investigating faith, would you be willing to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. Just tell him. Tell him right now. I want to know you more. Lord, I pray for each of us. As we, in many cases, Lord, I'm so guilty of it. We are, most of our worries and our focus is not on getting to know you. It's on all the areas of our life that we don't feel adequate in. And Lord, we've worked for years on those things. And we still struggle. And so Lord, I pray that this might be the week that we just maybe change our mindset. And instead of putting in more work on the areas of our life that need to be improved, I pray that we would get to know you better. And God, we're trusting that as we get to know you better, that you will transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.